Last week, we talked about discipleship and spiritual formation and how it is not about being right or fixing sin, but that it is about divine union, living in divine union with God, like these quilts where all the different pieces come together to form a whole. So, too, do the different pieces of our life come together and make up the whole of our spiritual formation as we live in unity with God. And I told you last week about the quilt that got destroyed when it got put in the washing machine that my husband Aaron had fixed for me. And more than a few of you asked why I didn't bring it with me, and the answer is I just forgot. I just walked out of the house on a Sunday morning and didn't think to bring it. But I remembered this morning, so I thought I would show it to you. So So this this is the quilt that was destroyed that he had fixed. And I'll tell you, I think I told you last week when he gave it to me, um, I was so touched. I was so moved that I started crying. Um, Now, we've been married for 16 years, so that doesn't bother him anymore. But back then, he was like, I don't know what to do when we cry. So I think he just started trying to say something to alleviate the tension. He goes, oh, and you know, another interesting thing that I found out, the women who fixed... Um, Your your Meemaw quilt quilt said it wasn't wasn't actually a quilt. And I was like, like, what? He was like, like the way she sewed it together, it was just sewn together with backing. It wasn't wasn't actually a quilt. And I went, how dare you say that my Meemaw's quilt wasn't actually a quilt? It was maybe not the moment where I was living in divine union with God. He was like, okay, I'm sorry, it's a quilt. It always has been a quilt. It still is a quilt. Everything's good. Everything's fine. (laughs) Living in loving union with God and with all things is the goal of our discipleship. And this idea comes from the authors of a book called Having the Mind of Christ. It's actually pictured on the back of your worship guide if you want to look at it. These authors also created a 10-month leadership program that I went through um, just last year, actually. And one of the authors, a guy named Matt Tebby, was the leader of my cohort. So he and I have become friends. And as we were going through this leadership program, we'd stop and we'd look at scripture and we'd consider a few things. And Matt had this really weird way of interpreting scripture in ways that I had never heard before. Like, I was amazed by it. And one day we were looking at a scripture that I had actually written a paper on when I was in seminary. I had done all sorts of research. I knew what all these different people thought about this passage. So we're reading it together and Matt offers something about this passage that I had never heard before. And I went, Matt, listen, where is this coming from? And he was kind of like, what is going on? said, I have done done research. research. I wrote wrote a paper paper on on this very passage. passage. I have never heard the thing thing that you just said. Where are you getting it? it? And And here's here's the deal. The The thing thing that he said, it wasn't wasn't like it was bad theology. It was like phenomenal theology. Like it rang so true to what I knew to be true about God and about Christ. And I was like, how have I never heard this before? I was kind of mad. I was like, I'm supposed to know this stuff. So like, where is this coming from? And he said, A lot of his biblical interpretation comes from reading books by authors and pastors and theologians who are different than himself. He talked to me about some black theologians that he'd been reading, like Howard Thurman and Obrey M. Hendricks. He talked about feminists and womanist theologians reading from men and women of different backgrounds and cultures that were completely different from his own. 
And he said, hearing their stories and their perspectives on faith started to change his own. He began experiencing God and experiencing scripture in new ways. And I got to tell you, I began experiencing God and experiencing scripture in new ways because of Matt's story. Because that testimony right there of just him reading people that were different from him, I was like, that's something that I've never done. I considered the research that I had done on that passage and I thought, all of those authors might have come from very similar situations in life. So, so I started doing this too. I started picking up books by theologians who were different than me. I started going to conferences and hearing from speakers who were in completely different situations than I was, who offered completely different perspectives on things than my own. And actually, the other two books on the back of your worship guide are two of the books that I'm reading right now that are similar. This here, Flesh, is a book written by a black woman named Cole Arthur Riley, and it is some of the most beautiful prose that I have ever read in my entire life. And this, and this one down, down here, The Deeply Formed Life, is written by um, a New Yorker of Puerto Rican descent named Rich Velodas. And I looked up the, the, trans- the uh, pronunciation of his last name because I thought, well, if he's Puerto Rican, it's probably Velodas. And no, he says Velodas. I'm like, okay, he's a New Yorker. We'll let him do, we'll let him do whatever he wants. But I noticed this interesting pattern here that Matt started hearing other people's stories and perspectives, and it enhanced his own connection with God. And then I heard Matt's story about that, and it enhanced my own connection with God, too, especially as I started implementing some of the things that Matt said that he was implementing. Other people told their stories, and he listened, and it changed his story. And then he told his story, and I listened, and it has started changing mine. I'm beginning to wonder if God's favorite place to work, I think God is always present and at work in everything, but I'm beginning to wonder if God's favorite place to work is in the stories of other people. Our Old Testament is filled with stories. Jesus told parables, which are just stories with lessons. It seems to me that God is especially fond of stories. And in our scripture today, John the Baptist actually tells his story, and it changes all sorts of things. So we're going to look at these passages again. So if you've got your Bible, keep it open. We're just going to start in verse 29, and we're just going to read these first five verses, and then we're going to talk about it for a second. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Okay, some interesting things here. John mentions that he did not know who Jesus was. He says it twice. I myself did not know him. He says, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water 
told me what to look for. And you know, I had always like skipped over that part. I had never paid attention to it, but it kind of hit me this week. The one who sent me to baptize with water told me when you see the spirit descend and remain, that's the one. And I went, okay, well, who sent him to baptize with water? Well, that must have been God. God must have been the one who sent him to baptize with water. God must have been the one who told him what to look for. And this didn't happen once John had already started baptizing. It seems that before John ever emerged from the wilderness, he was living in communion and connection with God. Enough to hear God call him to go baptize. Enough to hear God's instructions of what to look for while he is baptizing, it seems that before he ever came out of where he was living, in his regular, everyday life, before anybody knew who he was, before he had gained any of this notoriety, he was living in communion and connection with God in his everyday. When he was out there, nobody heard of him. He was eating the bugs. He had the weird hair. He was living that desert lifestyle, and in that everyday reality was where he was connected with God. And then that connection allowed him to hear from God, hear God's invitation, and he followed and he obeyed. And friends, our discipleship takes place in our everyday lives too. The place where God wants to meet us the most is not here for one hour a week on a Sunday morning. The place place where where God God is present present and at work and and most wants wants to be in communion with us is in our everyday lives too. The mundane, the routine, the ins and outs, the things that nobody else sees or know about. That is the context, the primary context for our discipleship, our everyday lives. So God invites John to start baptizing, and John says yes, and he emerges from the wilderness and starts preaching this gospel of repentance, and lots of people come out. Lots of people. So many so that the religious leaders are like, we've got to figure out what's going on here. So they leave the city, head to the outskirts to try to figure out who John is, what he's doing, figure out this crazy phenomenon that's happening. But what was happening is John was participating in the work of God. He was attuned enough to hear God's call, even when he was in the wilderness in his everyday life. And then he said yes, and he started baptizing, not exactly knowing who he was looking for, not exactly knowing how long it was going to take. But John still chose to participate in whatever it was that God was doing. And it was in this participation that John experienced God in a new way. Like Like I said, said, he tells tells us twice twice that he didn't know who Jesus was. He said, I myself didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And here's the thing. He was revealed to Israel, but he was also revealed to John. In fact, he was revealed to John first. It was only as John was participating with God, knowing what God had said, that John was just baptizing random people, and then this random guy comes up out of the water, and all of a sudden, here comes the Spirit, and John's like, oh, that must be the one. And then John turns around and starts telling that story to everybody else. John's participation with God allowed God to be revealed to him in a new way, and then John's story allowed God to be revealed to everybody else around him. Verse 32 says, and then John 
testified. John testified. John told his story. When we become participants with God, it helps us see God in new ways. Even if we don't exactly know what we're doing. All John heard was, hey, you need to go start baptizing with water. And he's like, okay. And he's preaching a message of repentance and he's baptizing. And he knows eventually he's going to see something God seemed to have prepared him for. But he doesn't know when or how long or who. But he's being faithful to participate in the work that God is doing. And it changed not just everybody else, but John too. It's, it's kind of like, like the story that my, my husband, husband told when I was, I was trying, trying to delineate the difference between Aaron and little Aaron. And, and my, my husband's like, I don't like that you call him little Aaron. Aaron. That, that feels weird. weird. It's like, okay, okay well, well, I can't, can't call you big Aaron. Aaron so, so what am I supposed, supposed to do? So as my husband Aaron was talking about young Aaron, and I thought back about that story and about that time in our lives, our hope is that the way my husband treated Aaron with love and with welcome and with kindness, our hope is that that revealed God in a new way to young Aaron. But I know that it revealed God in a new way to us, to my husband and to me. I know that that's true. When we participate with God, it's not just that God uses us to reveal himself to the world, God also uses us to reveal God's self to us. So John is baptizing. He tells this story. He starts testifying. It says, like I said, verse 32, and then John testifies, which is just another way of telling the story. John says, here's the deal. I was baptizing, and I saw the Spirit, and this is what happened, and this is what God had said, and so this is the guy. But here's what John didn't say. When it, when it says, says and, and then John testified, and then John tells the story, it doesn't say, and then John said, well, see, my dad was this guy who was a priest, and like a long time ago, he was, it was his turn to give incense at the altar, and then all of a sudden an angel appeared, and oh, by the way, my mom was super old, and they'd been wanting to have kids for a long time, and they couldn't, and so they'd been praying, and then all of a sudden it was Gabriel. Like, he doesn't tell his whole life story that Zechariah and Elizabeth write, John the Baptist's parents. He doesn't tell his entire life story. He doesn't doesn't tell tell everything that brought him from the moment he was born up until the moment now. He tells a story about one experience that he had with God. And that one experience is what other people were able to hear, were able to hear, and it changed their understanding of God too. And as we talk about sharing stories at Dayspring, that's what we're talking about. I had a few people who came to my office this week who were like, I don't want to tell my story. I lived my story. Please don't make me say it again. Um, and somebody was like, I don't want to tell everybody my deep, dark secrets. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking for a confession time. We're not asking for your entire life story. But as we share moments where we experience God, it helps others experience God in new ways too. This happens again the next day with John the Baptist. He's walking and he goes, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his disciples are like, what? And they leave and they follow Jesus. And they stay with Jesus all day. And one of those guys was Andrew, who then goes and tells his brother. So John testifies about Jesus, and Andrew experiences Jesus for himself. And then Andrew testifies about Jesus, and Simon experiences Jesus for himself. There's a pattern here. We experience God. We tell our stories. 
It helps helps others experience God. And then then they they tell tell their stories. And And on and on it goes. I thought about my friend Matt this weekend because Monday was our national day honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And my daughter's school sent out an email on Monday talking about Dr. King and inviting everyone to participate in good works in their community because that's what Dr. King would do. And I already had some meetings, so I didn't get to do anything to serve my community that day. But I remembered a seminary professor who told me that he thought Dr. King's letter to the Birmingham jail should be like biblical canon. And I was like, wow, that is, that's, that's high praise. And I realized I've never actually read that letter. I've heard about it my entire life, but I had never actually read it. And that made me think of Matt, whose Christianity completely changed when he started listening to stories and intentionally reading people who were different from himself. So this week, I found Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham jail, and I will tell you, I was just blown away by it. The anecdotes he uses, the arguments he made, the stuff he's talking about back then still sounds so familiar and relevant to what's happening even now. If you have never read it, I highly recommend you do so. Google search. You can find it for free online. But I was already in the midst of preparing this sermon, and so I already had like John the Baptist and these things going on in my mind, and there were two things that Dr. King said in that letter that really stuck out to me based on what we were talking about today. The first thing he says is this, human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men, and I'll add women, it comes through the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. Co-workers with God, participants with God in this world. But at a different point in his letter, Dr. King also said this, Too long has our beloved Southland been bogged down in a tragic effort to live in monologue rather than dialogue. I love that. Monologue rather than dialogue. And it made me think, we need to tell our stories. We need to tell them and trust that God is present and at work in our stories. But we also need to listen well to the stories of others. We need to seek these stories out intentionally. We need to hold those stories well who are being told from situations in life that are different from our own. We need to be people who live in dialogue instead of just monologue. And the deeper truth, and the good news for us, no matter what our stories are, is that we are all part of a grander story. We are all part of the story of God, a story of love and justice and hospitality and truth. And we are invited to be a part of that story. And y'all, I'm still considering this idea, but I don't think there's like a set path for that. I don't think it's like, here's the role you play, and this is the only role you play. And if you missed it, well, sorry. Or you do this one thing, and when your time is done, okay, good, now you can go. Like you're, I don't think that's quite how it works. There's this poem that I read a long time ago by this poet named Antonio Machado, and it was written in Spanish, but I found it translated to English, and one of the things he says is, Traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. Traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. And I thought, I kind of get that. 
I don't exactly know the path. I don't think there is an exact path for all of us, but I think we know truth and beauty and justice and hospitality and the grace of God. And as we start walking in those directions, the path will unfold before us. As we tell our stories, as we listen to other stories, and as we go together as a congregation, we'll be fellow travelers on the road and the path will unfold as we walk it. As we sing this next song together, I hope that this next song for us will be almost our response and our way of committing to congregationally, communally, walking the path of God with one another.